I'm still foolish enough to believe that the best is still yet to come. And uh, y'all be throwing dirt on my casket. And I'll come out for one last word. It'll be the best is still yet to come. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Amen. John chapter 13 is where we're going to be looking at today uh, in God's Word. Do you love God's Word? I mean, just when you think you've seen it all and you've heard it all, God shows you something else that just makes you shout to the rooftops about His goodness and His glory. Uh, The title here is a little obscure, but hopefully it'll make sense as we keep going. But the title is, Jesus, what are you doing here? Now, Jesus is high and lifted up. Can I get an amen? Amen. He existed before everything. He is the co-equal with God. He is uncreated. He is not touched by human hands. He has existed and always existed. And everything has been made for him, by him, through him, and to him. And even the principalities and powers belong to Jesus Christ. You see, all the cosmos that exists and everything that we see in matter, there's not one square inch of it that Jesus hasn't touched and said that is mine including yourself touch your neighbor and say Jesus says I am his Jesus is the first and he's the last he's the alpha and he's the omega he's the beginning and he's the end he's the rose of Sharon he's the lily of the valley he's the owner of the cattle on a thousand hills Jesus Christ has it all and he is all in all he is the author and the perfecter or finisher of our faith That Jesus is preeminent, superior in all things. But as high and as lifted up as Jesus is, where heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool and he's at the right hand of the Father awaiting until he puts all his enemies under his feet... As high and exhausted, exalted, not exhausted, he's not, I'm exhausted. I've done three weddings in three weeks and uh, had a crazy week, so praise God. Uh, as high and exalted as Jesus is, I look at the gospel and I'm always faced with the reality that Jesus is never where he's supposed to be. is that he seems to always be leaving his high and exalted position to come and meet his people in the most unlikely of faces. And I can't help but keep thinking when I read the Gospels, Jesus, what are you doing here? Why are you here? Why can you be found in the worst places and the most sticky situations. Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 8 says, does have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. The Greek there is doulos, and the American wants to soften the language there, but that should better say by taking the form of a slave. 
being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, if I'm thinking about a king, that's the last place I'm thinking. If I was to read that, that the, the last thing that would come to my mind would be an exalted king. But Jesus has this thing about always being in the most unlikely of places. When Jesus comes on the scene in the flesh, we find him in the womb of an unwed teenager. Say, Jesus, couldn't you have found a, you know, somebody doing it right? Or... But Jesus goes into the unlikely of places. <laughs> so every time I see an unwed mother, I think, I bet you Jesus wants to be there. Jesus is always in the unlikely places. He's 12 years old and we find him in the temple teaching. And his parents are going on down the road and they realize, where's God's son? It's one thing to lose your own child. My daughter's got this thing about Dillard's in the circular racks, especially on sales where they jam everything in there. She thinks it's cool to slip through there and hide and wait and pick her feet up where we can't find her. So me and her mother are looking around, and it's one of those things where I think you got her and you think I got her, and we're walking around, then we meet each other, and to our surprise, the daughter is not there. I thought you had her. I thought you... No, you had her. And so then your mind goes to the worst place possible and you begin tearing apart everything trying to find. Imagine losing God's son. Yeah, only the savior of the universe here. No, no big deal. But they lose God's son. And they go back and there he is teaching in the temple as a 12-year-old. Boys, little young boys aren't supposed to be in the temple at this time. And they ask Jesus, what are you doing? Why aren't you with us? And Jesus says, I've got to be about my father's business. When Jesus is passing through Samaria, a lot of the more religious Jews would go around Samaria, considering it so unclean, not wanting to come in contact with any people from the city but Jesus finds it expedient to go right up the middle of the city and he sits at a well at the wrong time of the day for a woman full of sin and him we're going to have an encounter and guess what his disciples leave I want you to know that's not ministry protocol to be with a woman at a night of the night at a well by yourself. You're thinking, Jesus, at least leave your office door open here where people can, can, can have some accountability here. But Jesus isn't worried about protocols. Uh, Jesus isn't worried what you think about him on the person who he wants to touch. Uh, Jesus isn't concerned with our opinions. Jesus is looking to touch people. 
And he'll go to the most unlikely of places. It's like the woman who is caught in the act of adultery. And here she is. And they bring, him, bring her and throw her at his feet and say, what are we supposed to do? And Jesus bends down and starts writing in the sand and makes the statement, he who without sin go ahead and make the first cast of the stone. You see, I want to be like Jesus and with those who are thrown at our feet being outcasts of our society, if you've got rocks in your hand, you better aim low because I'm going to be in the sand writing with Jesus and rewriting the history of people that need Him. See, Jesus is always in a place where we don't think He should be. He's with lepers who are unclean and if they touch Him then he would be ritually unclean. And so Jesus, who is the temple, wasn't even supposed to be able to get into the temple because he had piled around with these lepers. So Jesus, what are you doing? It's why are you here? Keeps coming up. He even hangs around with tax collectors. He's walking through town. And of all the people, he finds the IRS guy up in a tree. The guy who's in cahoots with the Romans and who is overtaxing his people, giving a portion to Rome and putting a portion in his pocket in order to pad his pocket. And so Jesus is coming through town and there is Zacchaeus, the wee little man, up in a tree. And he says, Zacchaeus, there you are. I want to go to your house. I'm sure the neighbors were talking. I thought Jesus was the holy guy, but he can't be because he's in the house with Zacchaeus. And if he's with Zacchaeus, something's got to be wrong with Jesus. And so people begin to mutter, why is he here? What is he doing in that place? Jesus finds even the demon possessed and finds time for them. And if you ever want to be weirded out, you let somebody start manifested in front of you. But Jesus has got this thing about being where he's not supposed to be. He even heals mother-in-laws. Jesus, what are you doing here? (laughs) Got to give it to you how I got it, Lord. (laughs) But finally, we see him in his parousia. The glory of his second coming at the Mount of Transfiguration. And he's there in the glory of his second coming. And he's meeting with Moses. And he's meeting with Elijah. And there's this awesome thing. And Peter and James and John are there. And they say, whoa, it's good that we're here. Let's build a tent. And we can stay right here in a church and never have to go anywhere else. Jesus is looking so glorious. His clothes look like he had some Priscilla ProClean and they've been treated and he was looking great and it looks like finally Jesus is where he needs to be. But then he turns to his guys and says, don't tell anybody what you saw and he comes directly down the mountain and touches a demon-possessed boy and heals him. 
Jesus don't mind to come down the mountain to touch his people when they're in a low place. But we're reminded again, Jesus, what are you doing here in this place? Even look at his chosen ones. Zealots who were terrorists. Tax collectors. And fishermen. You ever seen Deadliest Catch? Far from saints, those boys. But that's who Jesus calls his apostles. <laughs> he said, Jesus, what are you doing here? You're doing it all wrong. Then we see him on a cross. And you know what they're saying to him while he's on the cross? Get down from there. Or in other words, what are you doing here? Then we find him in a borrowed tomb. Doesn't even have a place to be buried and he's the God of the universe who created all things. Say, Jesus, what are you doing here? Even in Revelation, we find him walking among the candlesticks, the churches. In the church in Ephesus, he says, This I have against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. He goes to Smyrna and calls them a synagogue of Satan. <laughs> in Pergamum, he tells them that they are upholding the teaching of Balaam and teaching the people to practice sexual immorality. He's in Thyatira and... They're tolerating Jezebel. He's in Sardis and he says, I know your works and you have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. He goes to Laodicea and says, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot, but because you're lukewarm, I will spit you, spew you, vomit you out of my mouth. And then in chapter 3 and verse 20, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. That Jesus is on the outside trying to get into his own blood-bought church. <laughs> and I say, man, what humility. Why are you knocking on the door of the church? Just go, Jesus. But Jesus has this thing to where he loves us. And when he said he would never leave us or forsake us, he will stand at that door until your dying breath and he'll keep knocking until you choose to let him in. So if he's outside of your door knocking, count it as a blessing that the king of the universe is not where you want him to be, but he's exactly where he wants to be. And he wants you to open up the door where he might touch you and save you. Leads us to ask, Jesus, why are you here? Imagine a church that thinks they can do it without Jesus. Imagine the church that thinks they can do it without the Holy Spirit. 
What an indictment on the last day to stand before God and to tell Him you had it. That your programming was so phenomenal that you didn't need Holy Spirit to come in and do the work that only He wanted to do. But Jesus loves us. And he doesn't run from every perverse corner of humanity and hide and say, ooh, that's... Ooh. That Jesus in his heart says, I wish I could be there. I wish I could be there to fix that and to heal that and to touch that. John chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Verse 2, during supper... When the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper, laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. See, Jesus had an assurance because he knew where he had come from. Did you notice that? Because Jesus knew from whence he came, he could know to where he was going, which freed him up to take the position of a servant and not worry about the present because he knew his future was secure in God. That if we know where we have come from, we will know to where we are going and we will be able to serve like Jesus. And even though we take the position of a servant, we know that we're going to go back with God to his house and receive a great and eternal reward. But see, when we don't know where we've come from, we don't know where we are going. We're trying to figure it out along the way. And so what the church needs to know is to look back into the heart of Jesus and understand where we have come from and the path that Jesus has laid down. And if we are in Jesus, then our eternity is secure no matter what happens to us. So if we're secure about our eternity and our future, we won't live in worry turning to self-centeredness and only serving ourselves. We will take the position of a servant, wrap the towel around our way, and use our time here to serve people to bring them closer to Jesus and into his kingdom. But to do that, you've got to know from where you came. And if you know from where you came, then you'll know to where you're going. So Jesus is able to make such a great sacrifice because he knows where he's going. He knows who God is. He knows who his Father is. His future was already secure in God. And I want to tell you, if you're in Jesus, your future is secure in God. 
you can free yourself up to start doing the dreams that God's put in your heart to do. Worst thing that can happen to a person is they stop dreaming. Because that means they don't have a future vision that's bigger than their present vision. And so they will begin to look back to yesteryear and will quit looking forward into the things that God has planned for them to begin to walk in. So he wraps his towel and lays aside his outer garments. And he pours water, verse 5, into a basin. And he begins to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So picture this. Here they are around tables with food. And in that time, they didn't sit in chairs. They had either these kind of couches or pillows or, or even they would put their garments down if they didn't have money for that stuff. And so they would lean with their left elbow onto this table and they would have their feet back away from the table like this because the feet smell was so atrocious you didn't want the feet smell to mix with the food smell and think you were eating salt and vinegar chips or something to that nature. Pray for me. I need some help up here. So their feet was away from the table. Their body was facing the food at the table. And so Jesus takes off his stuff. So here's the table set with food. Here's the disciples. And Jesus is dressed like a slave on the outside of the table washing feet. I'm sorry, but if I'm a disciple, I'm thinking, Jesus, what are you doing here? You're our rabbi. You're our Lord. You're our curios. Why are you here? And Jesus has got no reservations about it. Bunions and corns and calluses and cracked heels. He's all in. It's like Jesus says, I know where I come from, so I know the Father's heart. And since I know the Father's heart, I know what the Father would have me to do. And that's wash you guys' feet and to serve you and to help you. So Jesus becomes a slave and starts washing feet. See, after travelers had come a long distance, the host was to provide water for their feet as a sign of hospitality. But most time, the guests themselves would wash their feet. Here, if there was any unlatching of a shoe, this is why John the Baptist said, I'm not worthy to even unlatch the sandal of him who is coming is because to unlatch a sandal would mean that you aren't just a guest receiving people into hospitality, but you are now a servile servant. You are a slave. So Jesus is even unlatching sandals. And let me give you a little history about first century Rome. They used the bathroom in pots and then would find a window and dump it into the street. How would you like to have a romantic evening walking the streets of first century? Oh, look, the Colosseum, babe. <laughs> squish, squish. And Jesus says, 
Here, let me take off your sandals. <laughs> and let me wash your feet. <laughs> so here's the table spread that they didn't earn. Here they are leaning on a table that they didn't earn. And here's the king of the universe washing feet that they didn't earn. And he's making his way around the table even washing Judas's feet, who was about to sell him for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. <laughs> I say, Jesus, what are you doing here? This doesn't even make sense. Why are you reversing the societal roles? You're the king. Why are you washing feet? And here comes Simon Peter saying much of what we would say, and it would seem to be the holy thing to say. Simon Peter says to him, verse 6, And he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? In other words, Jesus, why are you here? This is embarrassing. You're too holy to touch this part of my life. It's funny how we tell God how holy he is instead of letting him just reveal his holiness unto us and meet us right where we're at. I better carry on. Now it's kind of embarrassing, right? Think if I called you up here to come and take your shoes off in front of everyone. Don't worry, I'm not. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> Got to keep you on your toes now. Can't have you comfortable in church now. <laughs> Got to be a little awkward anyway. <laughs> See, there's something about our feet that's kind of embarrassing. Yeah. something about our feet that is a vulnerable place. Something about our feet that we're maybe not proud of. But this is the place where Jesus wants to meet His people. See, this is an intimacy that Jesus is establishing. An intimacy means into you I see. And into me, you see. See, intimacy isn't being romantic. Intimacy is being known as you are and being loved anyway. Yeah. So Jesus is saying, we can't have anything separating us, guys. Not even the insecurities about the dirty parts of your life that you think are off limits to me. Verse 7, And Jesus answered him, What am I doing? You, don't, you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. And Peter says to him, You shall never wash my feet. 
And Jesus answered him, If I don't wash you, you have no share with me. Jesus is saying, if you don't let me serve and clean the most private and most shameful areas of your life, you can't have anything with me. See, Jesus is either Lord of all or he's Lord of none. And so there's these places in our life where we've said, that's too painful. I can't revisit that place. God, I can't let you go there and meet me there. I'm too ashamed. And Jesus is saying, I'm making myself a slave to get to that place in your life. Because if I get to that stronghold, I'll send you out in ministry and you'll touch this whole city and you'll heal them in the name of Jesus. If you'll let me go there. See, if you don't let Jesus go there, you're going to be manipulated by shame to never step into your purpose. Come on now. Because the devil will hang that shame over you and tell everybody, I'm going to reveal it. And then people's going to know and then they're not going to listen to you anymore. They're going to think you're really bad. So you're only as sick as your secrets. Yeah. You're only as sick as your secrets. Because anything that you've not given to Jesus, that'll be the thing that Satan will keep dangling over your head. And so your ego and your fear of being known for who you actually are and not being willing to be loved in community keeps you from your divine purpose. And it keeps you saving face. Oh yeah, you're saving face. You're impressive. But Jesus had never washed your feet. And he says, if you don't let me wash your feet, you got no share with me. See, Jesus is in this thing wholeheartedly for us. Now look at this in verse 9. I love Peter's heart here. Check this out. Simon Peter says to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and head. (laughs) I love that. He's like, wait, you got no share if you don't wash my feet? Hey, get the armpits, man. Come on, get that brush back there, right here. He's wanting Jesus to have every part. And this is obviously not the lesson that Jesus is teaching. But the disciples are always missing it because they're thinking of the literal thing and not the spiritual thing. And so Jesus isn't saying, okay, this fit washing is something spectacular. He's like, no, I'm giving you an illustration of how I want to touch your life so that if you read on, as I've done unto you, you do also to others. by the people who are washing feet in this church have had their feet washed because Satan's not able to dangle anything shameful over their head because they know Jesus has cleansed them of that and they don't have to walk around in shame they can just walk in their calling that God's called them to walk in verse 10 and Jesus said to him the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet but is completely clean and you are clean but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. And that's why he said, not all of you are clean. See, the ones who let Jesus into the scariest and dirtiest places of their life, they make it. 
they make it. But the ones who won't go there and put up walls, they'll betray Jesus and they'll sell him as a slave. While trying to protect their egos and refuse to give themselves to God. See, Jesus wants to find the nooks and crannies of your life. See, the thing about the anointing, it's like water. It always flows to the lowest point. And the reason why you've not been feeling the anointing is because you've yet to let God go to that lowest point and take you to the next step in your journey. Your anointing will stop to the level that you have allowed Jesus to go into your life and make assessments and to heal and to touch you. For he knew who was to betray him. And that's why he said, not all of you are clean. Which is odd because he washed everyone's feet. But not all were clean. See, God meets us at our feet. And sometimes we want to give God our public life, don't we? But we don't want to give him our private life. (laughs) I know we get on these folks that do this reality TV, but what if a camera team come up in your house? Come on now. Say, are you even saved? You know what I'm saying? Because it's just life. But this is where Jesus meets us. This is where he's wanting to go. He's wanting to to meet us there. Not just have our public life, but our private life. It's why he tells Moses at the burning bush, take off your feet. Or your, don't take your feet off. You, don't take off your prosthetics here. Take off your shoes. <laughs> this is holy ground, right? I would think if something's holy, I need a barrier between me and it. God says that's not holiness you see Moses if you don't take your shoes off and if we don't have a connection between the holy and the unholy I can't cleanse you and prepare you and send you against Pharaoh where you can call down the mightiest nation in existence at that time that's why he tells Abraham here we go get a sharp rock Abe Circumcision. See, God's saying, if I don't have the most private and shameful area of your life, then I can't have anything with you. That's why Jesus says, if you want to be rewarded openly, go pray in the secret place, and I will reward you openly. That God would rather meet us in reality than he had meet us at the place that we feel our best. That God would rather have a room full of messed up people that will fall down at the feet of Jesus and say, help, than he had someone posture and say some grand prayer and give some eloquent sermon. But see, when we're churchified, we just want the eloquent sermon. So we can go to the buffet and get out of here. 
what would happen if some people just got real with God? And some people got desperate with for God. And some people hit their knees and dropped all their pride and just said, Jesus, I'm here. I'm here. Meet me in any place that you want to meet me. See, Jesus meets us here so we can have him there. John chapter 14, verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. Where, where I am, you may be also. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 through 7 says, And he has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. See, when we let God go there, the question changes. And we're at the right hand of God, seated with Him in heavenly places, and then we ask, why are we here? Because we're overwhelmed with the gratitude that God would meet us at our worst place and not judge us, but cleanse us. As I'm coming to a close, I just want to encourage you. There's no place in your life too shameful for God to meet you at. And you don't have to carry around the shame that Satan's just dogged you with. See, guilt is okay. Guilt says I've done something wrong. Shame says I am something wrong. <laughs> and you're not something wrong. <laughs> You're made in the image of God to be in relationship with God. And so you don't have to be something wrong. You're not. You're a son and daughter of the Most High God. And He loves you. He loves you. Yeah, you might have did some stuff wrong, but you aren't something wrong. You aren't. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, would you just... Come among us and help us, encourage us. God, some of us have carried hurts and shames and things that were just, just dogged us our entire lives. And God, you're here to strip away the lie that says, I don't love you unless you're like this. That God, you'll meet us right where we're at, and your Holy Ghost and your grace will change us. So God, help us to drop our arms of rebellion where we've held you at arm's length and said this far and no further. But God, let us drop our arms and say, Jesus, come. Come and let me experience you. Every head still bowed and every eye closed. If you'd say, you know what? I need to get my life right with God. Bible says that your heart will bear witness with the Spirit of God if you're saved. If you've got any doubt, we want to remove that today. If you're here and you need to be saved, God's here to meet you to be saved today. Every head bowed and every eye closed, if you'd raise your hand and say, I need to be saved today, or just raise your hand and lift it up. 
Is there anybody in the place? I want to give you just a few more seconds. Say, I need to get my heart right with the Lord. If that's you, just slip your hand up right where you're at. 